0: Welcome to episode number 184 of the Pioneering Today podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite things, and that is preserving the harvest. Now, there is nothing like having fresh fruits and vegetables to eat. One of my favorite things about growing a garden in summertime is when you have things that are vine ripened, or they might not be growing on a vine, but you know what I mean. They're going outside and you are picking them right at their perfect time of ripeness. And there's nothing fresher than getting them straight from your backyard garden. The taste and the flavor and the texture, like everything is just at perfection. And once you've had that, it's really hard to go back to getting those items from the store because they just don't taste the same. And while I love all that, and it's one of my favorite things about eating in the summertime, we also want to be preserving the excess harvest so that we have those items in our home, in our pantry. So then we can cook from the items that we have preserved year round and ideally never have to buy them from the store. And when you are preserving them at home, you have even better flavor than if you were buying that same item preserved in the same way from the store. Because if you're going out and harvesting it and then preserving it, there's not that downtime where it's being shipped or it's sitting on the store shelf and it's losing some of its nutrients. It's not at its peak and all of that. All the way around, we're just getting better food. But when it comes to preserving, there are so many different ways that you can actually preserve food. And there's also the safety aspect. And I've talked about a lot of this in depth on previous episodes. So I will mention some of them and link to them in the resource section of the blog post that accompanies this episode but I'm super excited and I can't wait for you to join me. I am doing a free Preserving the Harvest workshop. That's going to include videos because there's some things that you just need to watch being done in a step-by-step tutorial. And rest assured, there will also be download guides so that you have got the written document for you when you are going to do it. But the catch is, it's totally free. So there's no catch there. You just pop your email in and then I will send you a link to those videos as soon as they go live. But the catch is we're going to be doing it live. And so you got to be signed up to get the links. And everything starts Wednesday, July 26, 2019. So make sure you get yourself on over and get signed up. So it'll either be in the Show notes for this, which is going to be at melissaknorris.com forward slash 184, just the number 184 because this is episode number 184. Or you can go to melissaknorris.com forward slash preservation workshop. But you want to make sure that you are signed up because I'm going to be sending out lots of resources and goodies. Plus we'll be going over, I will be showing you how to dehydrate, how to can and fermenting. And we will be talking about safety stuff and getting your plan and action to preserving your food at home. You're not going to want to miss it. But for today's episode, which definitely goes incongruent with all of that, I thought that we would dive into talking about preserving your food as it comes on and seasonally. Because obviously, Different harvests and different crops are going to come on at different times. And a lot of them were overlapped. So we're really beginning to move into the crazy preserving season for most places who are in the Western hemisphere. So if you're in the US and Canada, that type of thing, you're really beginning to move into when that season just gets to cranking. Now for us on our homestead and I live in the Pacific Northwest. Um, up in Washington State on the west side up in the foothills of the North Cascade Mountain Range. And we're a gardening zone. So technically, like by the maps, we're about a gardening zone 7. But really, for where we live and in our little microclimate, we are closer to a gardening zone 6. For us, my big preserving season starts typically in June. So I do a little bit in May. And that is going to be when I do all of our pickled asparagus. Pickled asparagus is one of our favorite crops. And yes, I will link to my pickled asparagus canning recipe for you in the notes for this episode as well. So you can go and get that. And depending upon the year and the harvest and where you live, sometimes you're still able to get asparagus into June. But typically, that's usually a March through May crop one of the things that is so helpful when you are preserving is knowing when each crop is going to be coming on so that you can plan i actually have a preserving plan believe it or not i certainly do and i've also got a podcast episode that walks you through creating your own preserving plan and that's episode number 147 but i'll just do kind of a quick recap here so with my preserving plan is i need to know what foods my family eats the most of? That's also how I identify what we grow each year and how much so that the foods that are most important to us that I can grow here, that I'm doing so. And then what form we like to eat them in when they're preserved. So for us, our favorite is pickled asparagus. I mean, we can eat a quart size jar of pickled asparagus in one setting. So when it comes to the asparagus, I do like to freeze some up as well. And then we love to eat it fresh, like roasted with butter. And just garlic salt is, oh my goodness, one of our favorite things. And then when I'm making the pickled asparagus, because you have to trim each spear for it to fit into the quart size jar, there's usually quite a bit of the ends left that is still usable, good, and green. It's not the white, really icky part on the end that most of us don't eat that you trim off. I take those green trimmings, and then I will freeze those and either use them when I'm making vegetable broth. But usually what I do is I'll make up a couple big pots of asparagus soup. And I usually do cream of asparagus soup where I use a lot of broth and then I just put a little bit of cream in to make it that nice, creamy, delicious, makes it a little bit richer. And let's just face it, most things taste better with some cream or butter in them. Can I get an amen? But I've got that plan into place. So I know how I'm using that crop and the way that my family likes to eat it. And I also know, which I'm going to share some with you here today when those crops are coming on so that I can make sure I've got all the ingredients and the equipment that I need in order to get those preserved. For example, usually we're focusing on canning during the summer months and not always canning. There's other forms of preserving, right? So there is dehydrating there. Sometimes you're using salt. Sometimes it's root cellaring. Sometimes it's fermenting, sometimes it's freezing. Like there's lots of different ways to preserve our food. And I'm going to be going over quite a few of those in that workshop that I'm telling you is coming up that you want to get yourself in. But how do you know which one is best for you and that crop? Well, rest assured, I happen to have a podcast episode on that. Big surprise there, right? So that is episode number 149. And that's how to pick the best preserving method. So you can dive into those to really get the full plan on each of those. But it's important for me to know how I want to preserve those items. Because for example, when the fruit and the berries are coming on, especially things like our blackberries and cherries, raspberries, blueberries, when all of those are coming on, those tend to come on when the rest of the vegetable harvest is coming on as well. So I know that I can freeze anything that I'm going to be making into a jam or jelly and or a syrup or that I just obviously want to have frozen so that I can use those berries to make a pie later because you can make pies and cobblers very easily from frozen berries. Or maybe I want to keep them frozen. Actually, frozen berries, you guys, are an excellent summer treat when it's really hot out. My kids, we just love to munch on like frozen blueberries. Or maybe I'm going to be adding them into smoothies later throughout the year or making up some different kefirs, that type of thing. So I know when those fruits come on, all of those that I plan on allocating to that type of eating or preserving later down the road, those can just go in the freezer and I don't need to put my time to preserving them at that moment. I mean, technically putting them in the freezer is a form of food preservation but it's not as hands-on or intensive as doing the other methods. So then I can focus on the berries that I want to turn into canned home pie filling and or just canned fruit. So for example, peaches, apricots, pears, those type of things. Then I know that that fruit, when I get it, I need to, to put that into that form. So I need to make and can that pie filling, can the peaches and the pears straight up in a really light syrup is how I like to do mine, which is a very, very light sugar syrup. And I do use a very light syrup. And that just means the light is a small amount of sugar because it does help to retain the color. I have to admit, when my kids are looking at the peaches on the shelf, if they've turned really brown or they don't have that nice pretty color, it's not quite as appetizing. And so I like to do just a really light syrup. So there's not a whole lot of sugar in there, but there is just a little bit for that reason. So you can see why it's really helpful to know how you're going to be preserving and eating each of those crops because it's going to determine on what way or what you need to deal with first and what you're going to do with it. And so if you know that ahead of time, it just takes out a lot of that overwhelm because it's a real thing. You will hit depending upon when your garden starts to really produce at all those fruit plants. But usually about July for me, I start to get the glut of the harvest and it can get overwhelming really quick. So if you go in already knowing this is what we eat, this is how I need to deal with everything, and you just got that in place, it really helps you to not feel overwhelmed and to not waste any of the harvest. But maybe you don't have a huge garden and maybe you're not growing all of that fruit yet. So it's also helpful to know what food is coming on, like what is going to be in season right now so that you can plan to either go to maybe you pick farms where you live if you're not growing it yourself. And I love you pick farms because it allows you to obviously know how it's grown. So you can ask them if they're not certified organic, what type of sprays they use. Because a lot of places aren't certified organic, but they do use organic practices, but they can't afford organic certification, especially if they're really small. So it lets you talk to the farmer or the person that owns that property and is caring for those crops and find out exactly what's been used on them. The other great thing about you picks is you are determining, obviously, when you're picking it, you're picking the stuff that's not super overripe, that's not super underripe. You're getting it just right. And here's a little tip. If you are picking berries and fruit to use for homemade jams and jellies, get about a quarter of it underripe. If you are using the old-fashioned jam jelly syrup recipes that don't call for store-bought pectin, because the underripe fruit, and it doesn't have to be totally green. I'm just saying a little bit underripe, okay? (laughs) Though a green apple has a lot more pectin if you're using the apple for pectin, which I do. There's different levels of pectin in all of your fruits. So if you put a really high-level pectin fruit with a lower-level pectin, then you can use a small amount of that higher-level pectin, and it doesn't really affect the flavor of the other fruit. And you can use that in place of store-bought pectin. And yes, I have a whole free ebook on that and tons of recipes. And I will make sure and send that out to everybody who is signed up for the Home Food Preservation Workshop. See, you're going to be getting tons of goodies. But when you're picking it, it allows you to pick some of that fruit under ripe so that you can make sure you've got those great pectin levels in your jams, jellies, syrups, etc. And if you don't have you pick farms around you, of course, there's farmers markets. So that's kind of the next best thing. And then there is always the grocery store. I know we're homesteading. Most of you, if you're listening to this, are probably focusing on raising it yourself or supporting a CSA program. You pick farms, farmers markets, and I totally applaud that and I totally agree with it. But sometimes there may not be something near you that you can find for that crop and you might be at the grocery store and it's okay if you get some of this at the grocery store. The great thing about knowing when things are in season, though, is you usually will get the best price and the best quality of that produce if you're getting it when it is in its natural season so that it's not being shipped from a different country in a different hemisphere during the off-season. So that's why this is really helpful to have. And I will say, if you are in the Pioneering Today Academy, which is my membership site, and we're going to be opening for just a few days and a couple of weeks... So if you're signed up for the home food preservation workshop, you'll get information about that after we go through everything. But what's important to know is if you're a member, and so if you are a member and you're listening to this and you didn't know you had this, you best get to open in your emails from me and logging in and grabbing it. But we put out every single month as a bonus part of the membership, a seasonal monthly harvest guide. So it lets you know What's in season right there? If you're growing it yourself, what are the signs that it's ready to harvest? And then different ways to cook it fresh. So obviously when we're meal planning and just cooking up our regular meals for our family, the different ways that it can be preserved. So you get the preserving recipes. And then if it has any medicinal properties or that type of thing, we also highlight our natural do it yourself section in this monthly guide. So for different herbs and things like that, then we'll have a section sharing with you how to Prepare something that's a natural do it yourself recipe. So it's a great resource to have. And so I'm kind of giving you a little bit of that as we go through this episode. For the months that are coming up at the time of this recording, it's June, it's June 18th to be exact. And the crops that in most places of the country are coming on in June are going to be apricots, rhubarb, still strawberries, lettuce, new potatoes, spring onions, Swiss chard. And then if you're in the warmer part of the climate, some of those summer crops, you may be already starting to get those. So things like zucchini, cucumbers, those type of things, you might already begin to be harvesting those. Then we move into July. And for July, you're going to start to get into your blackberries, boysenberries, cherries, melons, sometimes peaches. For me, peaches usually don't come until further into August, but it's going to depend again on your climate. So that just know that there's overlap. Plums, raspberries, corn, cucumbers, eggplant, garlic, green beans, lettuce, okra, onions, your peppers, both sweet and hot, summer squash, tomatillas, and tomatoes. So you can by that list, you guys. That was a huge jump on the amount of things that you're bringing in from what's ready usually in June come July. So you can see why I said we are moving into the big harvest season is coming up really soon. And then when you move into August, a lot of it, you'll have a window there of harvesting these crops for at least a few weeks, some longer. Oh, I should also say I did not mention blueberries, but you definitely have blueberries coming on in July. So as you move into August, you've usually still got blackberries, the boysenberries. Depending upon the type of blueberries you have, you may get a few of them at the very beginning of August, just depending on your climate. But usually for us, the blueberries are pretty much done by August. Still getting some cherries, the melons, the peaches, the plums, raspberries, corn, pretty much the same things just carry on into August. And then sometimes you'll start to get, depending on the type, You may start to get some of your apples and perhaps at the end of August pears, again, it it totally depends on the variety and where you live, but some of those you'll start to get in August and then a lot more of those fall crops really begin to come on in September. So the things that I'm putting up right now, as I just shared earlier, is we totally are doing all of our pickled asparagus. So asparagus is done for the year. Been harvesting the rhubarb and the rhubarb, I will freeze some of it to later make into jam because I love to pair rhubarb with strawberries and the strawberries are just starting to come on here. So I freeze some of my rhubarb because then I'll use that also in different dishes. I do can up some of my rhubarb with a light syrup. And so it's basically called stewed rhubarb, but you're canning that up. And that is great to then later make like old fashioned rhubarb pudding cake, which is one of my favorites. And you don't actually use store bought pudding. It's totally from scratch. I love to do a rhubarb strawberry dump cake. You can use the rhubarb and then put it into muffins or coffee cakes. Rhubarb is one of my favorite things. And last year I made up quite a bit of a rhubarb barbecue sauce, but this is where it comes in where you look and see what you have and you know what your family is eating and how much of it. And we still have quite a bit of that rhubarb barbecue sauce left. I made a pretty big batch of that when I canned it last year. And so I'm not doing it this year because I still have quite a bit left. And that's going to take us back again through this year. So ideally, with your canned foods, most sources that you read from say that you want to use it like the best shelf life is 12 months. And after 12 months, it slowly begins to drop in increments on the nutritional value. But as long as you followed proper canning procedure, updated recipes and times in your canning food that is safe to can, the newer lids say that they'll hold up to 18 months. But honestly, on my fruit stuff, I have had stuff that definitely lasts two years. Now, you do want to practice proper rotation with any of your food, but especially your canned goods so that you're eating the oldest stuff first, right? So you don't have jars that get lost in the back of the pantry that have been there for years and years and years. But with my fruit, I definitely have had different sauces and jams and jellies and syrups that go well past that 18 month mark. And we have not had any issue. My radishes have been coming up and we've been harvesting them, but we've been just been eating those fresh. You can do pickled radishes, but we really like a lot of the other food pickled and I just adore fresh radishes. So usually it's a crop. I don't do a ton of preserving with the radishes. We're just eating those fresh. I'm just beginning to have my kale come on and I will dehydrate my kale later when I have a lot more in abundance. But right now we're just getting to harvest that when it's fresh. Right now I kind of have that lull before everything in about two weeks is going to be coming on hot and heavy. And I will pretty much preserve, be preserving from the first part of July all the way through the end of September. So I have about a three-month window where we are just going pretty much hot and heavy with all of our preserving stuff and filling back up the pantry. My blueberries will probably be ripe, I'm guessing, in about 10 or 14 days. So then we'll start on the blueberry harvest. And I usually end up freezing most of the blueberries and then make it into jam and and that type of thing later in the fall months when the rest of the vegetable harvest has been taken care of. But sometimes I'll make up jam depending upon how much room I have in the freezer. And that definitely comes into play as well. The freezer, usually I do can meat. So when we get venison, we can that up. But usually my freezer space is dedicated to some of the crops that don't lend themselves well to canning or other forms of food preservation. There are a few. And then to our meat. So we raise and butcher our own Chick meat chickens. So I'll have whole chickens. I have whole chickens in my freezer. We do the same thing with our own grass-fed beef. So I have anywhere from a quarter to a half a cow in my freezer. And then we raise our own organic pork. And so I still have pork in the freezer. So the freezer holds that. And then any excess that I've got meat-wise, some of it I do like to have canned up. Like I said, we pretty much can almost all of the venison except for the backstrap because the backstrap is like our favorite. And we go through that first. And so the freezer gets to hold some of the berries if there's space. And if not, then I just go ahead and process it right when it comes on. And then cherries will be right after that. And I cannot wait for the cherries to come because cherry pie filling is one of our favorite things to can up. And yes, you could totally make it into cherry pie. But really, one of my favorite things to do is to make cheesecake and then to put the homemade cherry pie filling on top of that. I also love to use it when I'm making a chocolate cake. And then I'll use that as the filling of the chocolate cake and then make a chocolate ganache and pour on top. And oh my goodness, it's like the best thing ever. But the other thing that I really love to do with cherries is dehydrated cherries are one of my favorite all time snacks. So I do make up some cherry jam, but I actually have quite a bit of cherry jam left from last year. And I only have two jars of cherry pie filling and I don't have any dehydrated cherries left. So I've already got my plan into place that I'm going to be dehydrating quite a few of the cherries just to have as a snack. And then come Christmas time, I love to put dried cherries in some of my different cookies and quick breads and that type of thing. We don't have cranberries that grow around here. So I like to use cherries in place of cranberries in a lot of recipes because it's something I can grow and preserve myself versus purchasing the cranberries. So I've got my preserving plan in place. I don't need to make any cherry jam, but cherry pie filling and then dehydrating my cherries. I share that just so you can kind of see how I go through and look at things and decide and come up with my plan on what we're going to be doing with it. And now you know what's going to be coming up in season all the way through August on those different crops. Again, everything that I've talked about today, you can find in the show notes. So go and visit those at melissaknorris.com forward slash 184. And I hope that you sign up and you get your seat in the Home Food Preservation Workshop Series. On to our verse of the week, and this is from Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, and this is the Amplified Translation of the Bible. All has been heard. The end of the matter is, fear God, revere and worship Him, knowing that He is, and keep His commandments, for this is the whole of man, the full original purpose of His creation, the object of God's providence, the root of character the foundation of all happiness, the adjustment to all in harmonious circumstances and conditions under the sun, and the whole duty for every man. And I share this verse with you because I was reading in my Bible and my devotion this morning, and this verse just really stuck with me. And I thought this is going to be the verse that I share when I record the podcast in a little bit. Now, a little bit of background, if you don't know, but This is from the Old Testament and was written by King Solomon. So King Solomon was given the most wisdom by God of any man. And this book was written by him too. And so at the end of his life, everything that he had went through and had all of the wisdom from the Lord greater than anyone else was, when it boils down to it, is to fear God with reverence and worship and keeping his commandments so that we will be founded in happiness and we won't have inharmonious conditions. So basically, I know in my own life when things start to feel out of control or I feel a lot of discontentment. And of course, there's circumstances and there's times in our life when things are just kind of crazy or we're going through some sorrow, we're going through grief. And I'm not discounting any of those. We're dealing with something that's a really hard circumstance, but. There's also times when things aren't necessarily going really bad or we're not going through a really super hard time, but we just don't really feel happy. We don't feel whole. We feel discontented. Like something just feels off. And for me, those have been the times when I have not been following God. And sometimes it's not even something that I'm super conscious of. But then when I feel that feeling and I start to identify it, and then I'm really start to search like, what is going on? Like this has been going on for too long. Like things just feel weird. And I really get honest and serious with myself. I can see that I have shifted my focus and I am not giving my relationship with the Lord and him, his proper reverence in place in my life based on my actions and what I'm actually doing with my days and my time. And of course, I want you and I want myself to always have a foundation of happiness and contentment. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And I can't wait to see you if you are joining me, which I hope you are, inside the upcoming Home Food Preservation Workshop. Okay, guys. Bye for now. We'll talk soon.